Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Welcome to Luke's English Podcast. How are you? I hope that you're well. I usually hope that you're well at the beginning. There's not much more I can do, is there? I can just hope that you're well. I can't send you medicine. Um, I could. I mean, I could send you medicine through the post. But uh, why would I do that? That might even be illegal. I don't know if you're allowed to send drugs through the mail. Anyway, welcome to Luke's English Podcast. Um, This episode is all about my trip to New York. Um... I told you, um, I think I told you a few episodes ago that I was going to go to New York on holiday. Either I told you in an episode of the podcast or I uh, wrote it in a letter to you on my website. Either way, some of you know that I went to New York and I promised, I said that I would record an episode in which I'd explain what I did and what it was like and exactly um, how it felt and all those sorts of things. So that's what I'm going to do in this episode. I'd like to tell you all about my holiday in New York. I'm going to describe it to you. I'll tell you what I did, what I saw and all that kind of thing. Okay, good. You might be able to hear some ambient music in the background. You hear that? That is um, an app which I've got running while I'm recording the podcast. Um, It's an app that generates atmospheric background music. If you leave it alone, it just sort of does its own thing and creates these loops of sound. Uh, But if you touch the screen, it will uh, make a noise like this. Hear that? Um, So if you touch the screen, it makes a noise. And then if you leave it, eventually those noises come back in a loop. And it kind of loops the sound and it plays with them and it creates nice atmospheric... um, background music. This app is actually called Bloom. It's uh, That's spelt B-L-O-O-M. Um, and it's an award-winning app. It was developed by uh, Brian Eno, who you might know. He's a, um, a musician, a British musician. He used to be in a group in the 70s called Roxy Music. Um, and um, he also, you know, had a solo career. He wor- has worked as a producer with lots of famous artists, including David Bowie and U2 and plenty of other people. Um, but Brian Eno, as well as doing that kind of music, has also devoted a lot of his time and his career towards making this kind of um, uh, avant-garde, ambient uh, background music. Um, and he's released lots and lots of albums over the years of this kind of stuff. He was really a um, um, one of the innovators of this musical genre. So he's the he's the father of ambient music. There are other people, classical musicians, maybe people like Eric Satie um, and uh, others who sort of kicked the thing off. You know, music that could just sit in the background that doesn't impose itself on what's going on too much. It's just music that creates a certain kind of atmosphere. Eric Satie is probably the, the most famous example of that. Um, anyway, uh, so 
you can hear the stuff going on in the background. Every now and then I'll change the music and I'll just tap the screen and it'll make different noises. Like this. Right, that, so you might hear that coming back in a, in a few moments. Um, so this, doing this with the music in the background, this is kind of an experiment on this episode. I'm going to have that going on in the background. Um, I'll see how it sounds. Um, I do put music on the. Um, I, I do put music in the background uh, from time to time, just to give episodes another element, or just to take the edge off. You know, um, I hope this doesn't make you fall asleep. It might do. I realise that it might make you feel drowsy or sleepy because it's relaxing and nice. Um, so it might make you fall asleep. I hope not. Well, I suppose if you do fall asleep, then we can just blame the music. Uh, and not me, right? So if you if you start to feel sleepy and and uh, drowsy, that's not because of the content of the podcast. Oh no, no, the podcast stuff is fascinating and riveting. I think the 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 only reason you might start to drift off is just because of this nice relaxing music. So it's creating for me. It's creating a nice warm vibe in in the podcast this time. You could imagine while listening to this, you could imagine that we are in the ambient pod. Um, and just floating around in zero gravity um, in the ambient episode of Luke's English Podcast. Yeah, so this music doesn't really relate to New York exactly, not specifically, although um, Brian Eno has worked in New York. He's done lots of um, um, art installations in galleries in New York, and this music that he does is often used in art galleries, museums, and other public spaces. That's part of his artistic vision, is that he wants to create music that will fill public spaces, and um, he's interested in how that can affect the way people interact with a, a physical space when there's certain kinds of music playing. So you, f- you hear this kind of stuff in art installations, things like that. It's a little bit um, artistic, a bit avant-garde, maybe a bit pretentious, but I I like it myself. So, um, lots of art galleries in New York. Um, there you go. There's the connection to New York. Right. So, um, New York, New York, New York. Uh, let's see. I'm going to tell you my holiday story. Now, I know that sometimes people's holiday stories can be a bit boring, can't they? Especially if they just go to the beach, you know, when your friend has come, uh, has been to, on a beach holiday for two weeks and they come back and, you know, you see them and you make the right conversation. Hi, how, how was the holiday? Uh, you look great. You've, you've really caught the sun. You've got a lovely tan. How was the holiday? What did you do? And your friend goes, oh, let me tell you all about it. Look, I've got photos. I've got loads of photos to show you. I've got, I've got a, a million photos to show you. And you kind of go, oh, a million. Wow. I, I can't wait to see them all. And he said, yeah, and I took video as well. I've got three hours worth of video to show you. And you think, great, great, some holiday video. Wonderful. Um, He says, come over and we'll show you the video. And you kind of go, all right, will there be wine? I think I might need wine. Um, So, yeah, people's holiday stories can be a bit boring, especially if it's just the beach because there's not that much to tell about the beach. It's like, so how was the holiday? Well, uh, you know, there was um, the sky. We had the sky, uh, sea, and the sand, basically. It was sand, the sea, and the sky, and it was great. The sun as well was there. That was nice. Oh, really? Yeah, let me show you the photos. Here's me at the beach. Um, uh, here's, here's the sea. It's, bl- it's blue. Uh, there's a picture of the sky. That's blue as well. Uh, here's another picture of me at the beach. There's me lying down on the beach. Uh, I fell asleep. That was exciting. 
Uh, here's me eating an ice cream. At, what, at the beach? Yeah, at the beach. Um, there, I'm there in the water. Um, there's me being eaten by a shark, if only. If only that was one of the photos. There's actual foot, video footage of a shark biting my leg off. That would be worth watching, wouldn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, if you are one of those people who... I mean, I feel like I'm being a bit hypocritical because I'm now going to tell you all about my holiday. But um, I didn't go to the beach. I went to New York, so it's a little bit different. But just bear that in mind. I mean, we all forget. We all know that we hate looking at other people's holiday photos unless they're brilliant, unless they're genuinely amazing. So just bear that in mind. Next time you show someone your holiday snaps, just think, oh, maybe they don't care about this. Or just edit. You might have taken 300 uh, photos with your wonderful new SLR camera, but just edit edit out the, the crap and just show us the best of. Okay? Fine. Good. Um, on that subject of holiday photos, despite what I've just said, you will find a slideshow on my website, which you can choose to look at or not. You don't have to look at it. That's the thing. I won't be offended if you don't look at the slideshow, but if you want to see some images of New York and stuff that I saw, then you can check out the website. I've got a new website. I'm not going to go into it in massive detail now, I promise. But the website address is teacherluke.co.uk. Teacherluke.co.uk. If you visit teacherluke.wordpress.com, that still works. It'll take you to the new one. All right. Um, This is the third URL that I've had so far, but it's fine because teacherluke.wordpress.com still works, as I've said. I've also got uh, lukesenglishpodcast.com. I've got that as well. I've got uh, got teacherluke.com. I've got that one too. I've got teacherluke.uk. Um, I think I've got teacher. I think I've got luketeacher.com. I've got loads. I bought loads of loads of them, and they're all going to be set up so that they will take you ultimately to my website. So you've got no excuse for not visiting the website now. Let's have a little bit of noise. That's nice. Um, right. So uh, there we go. People's holiday stories can be boring, but I hope this one won't. Um, Let's see. I certainly hope that this episode holds your attention. It should, because New York City is a very vibrant and interesting place, and there are lots of things to say about it. Some of you may have been there. You've probably seen there, and you know what I'm talking about. Some of you may never have been. Um, It might be a place that you want to visit. It might be a place that you don't care about. Well, you know, regardless of that, I'm going to be talking to you about it. You'll hear me... You'll also hear me during this episode using all kinds of phrases and vocabulary, the sort of language that's used to describe a holiday or a trip or language for describing places and experiences, okay? I haven't actually uh, formally planned to teach you any specific items of vocab. We'll just see what comes up, okay? But since I'll be talking about going to New York, I'm sure that just naturally all kinds of natural expressions and things will, will come out of this. So let's get started, all right? So I went in April. Um, that's about six weeks ago from the date that I'm recording this. Um, but the holiday's still pretty fresh in my memory. Um, I didn't get a chance to record any um, stuff when I was actually there because obviously I was just, you know, on holiday. I wasn't working. Um, let's see. Bit of context for you. I've lived in a few cities in the world. I've, obviously, I've lived in London. I've lived in Yokohama, Tokyo in Japan. I've, I've lived in Paris. I've lived in Liverpool. I've also visited quite a few other cities like um, Berlin, Barcelona, Milan, Rome, Oslo, mainly in Europe, um, Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam and other places too. 
and um, each city really has its own unique atmosphere and its own sort of specific story and appeal. New York, though, seems to be like the king of cities, you know? I've never been to Moscow. I've never been to Sao Paulo. Um, never been to Madrid. Never been to Prague. I've never been to Seoul in Korea. Although I have been to the airport in Seoul. Incheon Airport. I fell asleep for three hours in the airport. Lovely airport in Seoul. Really good internet connection. Well done, South Korea. Much better than... I think South Korea's got the best internet connection in the world. And it was certainly good in the in the airport. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Um, so I've been to... I, I, I've been to some places. There are loads of places I haven't been to and that I would love to visit. And one day I will go to those places. But New York um, kind of sticks in my imagination as the king of cities. Perhaps it's just because it has the best marketing, you know, with all the movies that have been set there and TV shows. Um... They've got lots of very recognisable buildings. It's a you know it's 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 um, something that sticks in the memory a lot. Um, uh, it maybe it's just their marketing, but overall, New York seems to be, for me, the best example of a modern metropolis. You know, a super city. Um, also, there are there are kind of different levels of experience that you can have when you visit a place. Um, if you've lived there all your life, then you'll know one version of it. If you're a permanent resident, but you've lived in other places, then you'll probably have a different perspective. And if you're just visiting as a tourist, you'll have another vision. Um, as a tourist, I realise that I'm just kind of scraping the surface, really. The reality of living there must be quite different to the thing that you experience as a tourist. I expect it can be quite a tough place to live, just like anywhere else. Uh, New York City is known for being quite a stressful place for its residents. Um, maybe not so much these days. It's changed a bit. Back in the 1970s, the 1980s and part of the 1990s, New York was um, quite a dangerous place, I think. Uh, there, was, it was, there was quite a lot of crime in some parts of the city, there were some kind of no-go areas. If you've seen a film like Taxi Driver, uh, the Robert De Niro film Taxi Driver, that's set in, in New York. And that's pretty rough. That He drives through some pretty rough places and you get the impression it's a, a sort of seedy world of crime. It's not so much like that anymore. It, somehow they've fixed it and it's really it feels really safe. It's, it's great. It's a great place to walk around. Obviously, you should be careful of your belongings when you're in any city. But New York generally seems to be pretty safe. And people were really friendly. I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, so, um, so the stereotype is for, the, for New Yorkers is that they're always rushing around shouting, you know, I'm, I'm walking here, you know, that, that sort of thing. Hey, buddy, you know, your mother, that kind of stuff. I don't know what that was that I just did. That was a kind of... Uh, angry new yorker i suppose um or you know desperately trying to get a cab and they can't get a taxi you know the stereotypes we see in films you know guys trying to whistle a cab and he can't get one or someone arguing with someone else in the street or i always imagined kind of in new york sort of someone going into a deli and very loudly ordering their food so yeah, I want give me a hot dog with uh, relish and uh, hold the mayo, and give me a give me a sprite, you know that kind of thing. 
um, very loud and sort of stressed out, people ready to argue and, and get into disagreements. It wasn't really like that, actually. It was pretty chilled out. Again, maybe because I was a tourist, but it felt pretty chilled out and cool and, and awesome. Um, also, New York must hold a lot of secrets for the people who know it well. You know, they probably know the best places to go, the best food joints, the shortcuts through the streets, and all the other little tricks that you pick up regarding just how to get by in the city. For example, in London, you learn fairly quickly that you're expected to do things in a certain way. There's a queuing etiquette, you know, just like how you um, sit down at a table in a pub. You know, you've got to go and get served first. All the little bits of etiquette. Uh, areas in town that you should avoid at certain times. Um, so as a tourist, I, as I said, I was just scratching the surface, really. Um, so this is like a tourist report of New York. Um, New York has a lot to offer to everyone, though, either permanent residents or temporary visitors. It's a vast, sprawling pa- place which um, has many faces. It's pretty clear by now, I suppose, for you, that I loved it. You know, I loved it. I thought it was incredible. It was amazing. Um, I had been to New York before. I went there in 1989 when I was about 12 years old. So I wasn't really old enough to fully appreciate it. Um, I couldn't really appreciate it fully because I was so young. All I remember is that it was really big and that um, we went up the Empire State Building. And I remember standing in, in Times Square looking up at all the lights and there was a huge Batman sign because the first um, Batman movie directed by um, the guys whose name I can never remember, he's, it starred Michael Keaton as Batman. Um, and um, anyway, I just remember the huge Batman sign. I was really obsessed with Batman at that time. I still am, to be honest. So anyway, uh, going back there as a 36-year-old at the time uh, was just great because I can suddenly see it with new, fresh adult eyes and uh, all that kind of thing. So I also know that New York, compared to the USA as a whole, is quite different. So what you see in New York and the experiences you have there don't really tell you about the whole of America because it's a very, very um, diverse country, isn't it? Um, we tend to just get one version of America in, in the media, you know, from films and stuff like that. Um, people around the world, we do get lots of, we do get exposed to a lot of American culture all the time. It's, it's on TV. It's just everywhere, constantly. America is a very um, public country. Does that make sense? I mean, America likes to tell its own story to the rest of the world. Um, sometimes the rest of the world doesn't care. You know, we think, look, we're not your audience, you know. That's how it feels at times. So sometimes the rest of the world, we have a slightly anti-American attitude because we're fed up with the kind of flag-waving, um, in-your-face attitude. But I don't... But when you go there, right, when you actually go to America, it's quite different. And you realise that this is just a place, just like anywhere else in the world. It's not any kind of better than any any other country but nevertheless there is a sense in in the US there is an atmosphere of kind of it's difficult to explain what it is but there is a sense of that kind of hope or or um um hmm, 
I mean, I don't necessarily believe in all the stuff about freedom and liberty because I don't think they're any freer or more um, um, liberated than some other countries. But there's a sense in America, there's positivity. Uh, It's a place where you can go to get things done. It's a very pragmatic place. It's quite an inspiring place because you know that people have achieved a hell of a lot of things there. Also, the fact that um, America, particularly New York, is such a multicultural place. And so everyone's invested. Like In a way, the whole world is kind of invested in in the success of of America. Um, And you go to New York and you realize this place has got a story of many people coming from many parts of the world, coming to New York, with a um, with I wouldn't say a dream, just coming to New York hoping to f- to build a better life. So it's the new world, and you get a sense of that that this place was created over the last couple of hundred years, and it's it's built on hope and dreams and and that kind of thing, which is a pretty interesting atmosphere to tap into. Um, so New York is not really indicative of America as a whole, all right? In fact, it's a generally it's a generally held th- belief that uh, the coasts of America, the East Coast, the West Coast, uh, the big cities, they have a different um, um, aesthetic and a different sort of intellectual attitude to, um, say, the middle of the country, that kind of thing. So New York, yeah, it's very European in some ways. It's also very, um, well, I said it's very multicultural. You get different parts of the city you feel like you're in different parts of the world almost it's cool other cities are like that too london is a good example of that there are so many different communities in london that you can go to one place and it feels like you're in you know suddenly you feel like you're in uh, turkey you know um because there's so many turkish restaurants and Tur- turkish shops around there's obviously chinatown um all that kind of thing same thing in new york um you might be thinking why new york well i don't really need to explain that now because i've just I've just been through it. So if you're still wondering why I went to New York instead of any other place, um, I think I've already answered that. Um, but my girlfriend offered it to me as a, as like a birthday treat, a birthday gift, which is very sweet of her because she, you know, she's heard me talking about New York before and saying, I'd love to go back. You know, I find it fascinating. I'd love to just, you know, get a taste of what it's like in New York. Having lived in some big cities in the world, New York is the one that's... I know that probably at this stage I'm never going to be able to live there permanently, but I'd love to do it. I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of the Beatles, and I kind of think of John Lennon. John Lennon, who lived in Liverpool, he lived in London, and he lived in 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 New York. His wife was Japanese, so there's this kind of connection with these places. I, I read a lot about John Lennon. I'm curious about his New York life think he was quite happy when he lived there all these things make me slightly um, interested in new york and so it was great to actually go and see it right so how did we get there well we flew of course um in the olden days people would um would take boats it would take ages to get there but now you can get there in just about seven hours from from uh europe so we flew you know, all the, the we had the whole flight experience and all that stuff. Um, flying on planes, it's a it's a weird thing, isn't it? When you think about it, you're actually flying in the air. I don't know if people ever realised that they would 
ever get the chance to do that. But um, yeah, there you are, flying through the sky, which is brilliant. It is brilliant, except for the fact that on the plane, it's just uncomfortable, isn't it? The air is all stale. Uh, the seats are too close together. It's really uncomfortable. But they do their best to try and make it better. Well, I'd say they do their best. They could at least um, uh, they could give us more space. But so they need to pack as many people in as possible, I think. Um, so they give you in-flight entertainment. So I watched loads of movies and things. Um, what's it like being on a plane for about seven hours? What are the difficulties and the joys? The difficulties are just the fact that you're cramped in, and there's that lingering sense in the back of your mind that what about what if the plane crashes? What happens? What if there's a problem with the engine? Is everything okay? Is the pilot okay? Is he all right? I hope he's doing. A, I hope everything's okay in the cockpit. There, there are those thoughts in the back of your mind, but usually you just try and forget about that um, and um, just try and enjoy the flight. It's very uncomfortable because of the seats and stuff. Those toilets as well, tiny little toilets. Anyway, um, I'm not going to go into a whole Jerry Seinfeld thing about aeroplanes. You know, aero- what's the deal with aeroplane food? No, I'll let Jerry Seinfeld cover that one. Um, one thing is that um, I, I, I've... I um, forgot to be nice to the stewardess at the beginning. You know the stewardesses, the the trolley dollies, whatever you want to call them, the air hostesses? Um, now, what's that crackling noise? Could you hear a crackling noise on the podcast? Maybe. Maybe having a little technical issue there. I wonder what that is. What could that be? Never mind this. This is just me dealing with technical things. So I... Okay, you know when you get on an aeroplane... Um, you've got the stewardesses and stuff. You must remember to be really nice to the stewardesses. Smile, say thank you, make a good impression at the beginning. I know that they're there to serve you, but forget about that. You've got to make friends with them quickly because they've, they're important to you. They're, they're going to provide you with water and food. They're basically going to keep you alive for that journey. I know that you won't die of hunger on a plane, but you know what I mean. I forgot to do that. For some reason, I didn't, I didn't say thank you. No, that, I know what happened. I had um, my tray up. No, I had my tray down. And she came round to tell me to put my tray up. And I, I didn't notice her. I had my MP3 player on. Another problem on a plane. I had my MP3 player on. I didn't hear her saying, Excuse me, can you, uh, can you put your tray up for me? Didn't hear that. So, of course, she got pissed off with me and she ignored me for the rest of the flight. She was French. Uh, I should probably clarify that. <laughs> um, let's see. They're not... Um, the So these stewardesses are not so much there to serve you, but to just dictate to you what you must do. You know, she's like, I need you, I need you to turn that off for me, please. That's a typical thing that sort of English air stewardesses say when they see you listening to music. I need you to turn that off for me. Oh, I'm turning it off for you and not for everyone else on this flight. That's the whole iPods crashing planes thing, which you know my attitude on. Um, I I do know that um, there is a technical reason for us turning off our phones and our our, um, MP3 players. But sometimes you do wonder, really, really? Is this play... is, Is my... Is my Samsung going to crash the plane? Because I'm not sure it's that effective. I mean, it, it can't even download my emails sometimes. I don't think it's going to be able to bring a plane down. You know what I mean? Um, anyway, in-flight entertainment. I watched a few movies. I watched the Walter Mitty film. 
uh, which is the Ben Stiller film about uh, a guy who's bored with his life and he's fallen in love with a woman at work and he decides he's going to go off on an adventure and find himself and um, it's quite moving. I also watched a film called All is Lost which uh, is about Robert Redford. It's not actually about Robert Redford. It's about a character played by Robert Redford. He goes out on a boat, he has an accident and uh, everything goes horribly wrong. I'm not going to tell you what happens in the end. He may, maybe he dies, maybe he doesn't die. Um, but both of those films, both of them, they they made me feel really emotional. I don't know why, but at the end of each film, I started welling up. I started crying, and that's I don't normally. I mean, I'm I'm in touch with my emotions, ladies and gents, but um, I don't usually cry at films like that. So I was like getting all there, getting all emotional watching Robert Redford struggling with his boat. Like, oh my god, oh, what's going to happen to Robert Redford? He tried so hard to keep the boat um, on the on the water. Oh, Robert, oh dear, I loved all those films you made. I love Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh God, you know, I was there getting emotional. My girlfriend's like, what's the matter? What's the matter with you? Um, I don't know. It's some, why is it that that happens in aeroplanes? Why do we get more emotional when we're in the sky? I want to know. I want to know what that, why that is. Um, there's, you know, there's questions about the best places and worst places to sit. In my opinion, I like to be in an aisle seat. An aisle seat. You can have a window seat or an aisle seat. The worst place is when you have neither. When you're stuck right in the middle, you're not in an aisle. You're not next to an aisle. You're not next to a window. You're just next to two other people. And if they're American people, then, you know, you might be squeezed in there a little bit tightly, if you know what I mean. Um, I like the aisle seat. Why? Because it gives me the freedom to just get up and just go to the toilet and have a little walk around without having to climb over some stranger, you know? Um, The window seat's great because you can get to see views but you know i can take it or leave it now i've seen the earth from the sky before it's beautiful but no i want access to the toilet please thank you also i like to stretch my leg out into the into the aisle which i know can be annoying for other people but um just ask me and i'll put my leg in it's fine um this uh fears about landings and takeoffs normally i'm pretty cool i'm like yeah it's fine it's just a massive metal uh, cylinder which um, is going to somehow defy all the laws of physics and fly through the air. Yeah, no problem. I'm sure it's going to be fine. Normally, I'm quite cool. But sometimes I do get a bit nervous about the takeoff. And then there's turbulence in the air where the plane goes up and down. You know, turbulence. Uh, that can be a bit stressful. It was an okay flight. Absolutely fine. We arrived in America and I looked out of the, you know, I looked across the plane and looked out of the window and saw lots of views of cars. That was the first thing I saw. Some big highway with all these cars from the air. And I was like, oh, look, America. Um, America, there it is. And I had a good look at it. And uh, it was just big American cars. I was like, wow, that, that is real America, isn't it? Uh, we arrived in immigration, and there was a very long queue in immigration. I think that's a big deal in the States. They like to check very carefully who's coming into the country. Very long queue. The staff at immigration were quite strict. Um, I remember I was I had my cell phone out and I was like checking an email or something, and the guy was like, I need you to turn off that cell phone, sir, sir. Sir, put the cell phone away. You know, and I was like, um, I'm just, I'm just turning it off. And he said, You don't need to turn it off. Just put it in your pocket. Put it in your pocket. I was like, Oh, you mean my pocket? 
It's like, don't get smart with me, buddy. He didn't actually say that. Don't get wise with me, asshole. He didn't say that, but um, he could have done. It's like, sir, I'm going to need you to put the cell phone down. Put the cell phone down, sir. You know, um, it could have got uh, dramatic, but it was okay. But they were quite strict uh, immigration. I suppose they're a bit freaked out still by what happened in 2001, maybe. I don't know. Maybe they've got reason to be alarmed, um, you know. Uh, anyway, um, when I finally got through to immigration, I, it was quite cool. The guy at the desk was, was quite chilled out and nice. And there, for some reason, there was a, when I was talking to the guy at the desk, there was a kid playing around behind me. And the immigration guy was like, is he with you? And I was like, no, no, no. Uh, he said, do you have children, sir? And I was like, uh, well, n- not as far as I know. Um, you know, now would be quite a weird time to find out that I did have a son. You know, and why has he followed me to New York? Um, you know, that kind of thing. We had a bit of banter. I had a bit of banter with the immigration guy. It was quite fun. I thought, these American people are fun, aren't they? Um, arriving in the airport, the very first thing... So after getting through the um, immigration stuff and getting our bags and all that stuff, we got actually into the main airport, the public area. The first thing that hit us immediately, the smell of French fries and ketchup. That was just the first smell of America. And I was like, smell the freedom. I mean, fries. You know, it, it was just French fries and ketchup bit of noise there. And that was the first smell. We took the train. The train was quite loud. It had quite loud and aggressive announcements. You know, like, uh, please put your bags up on the things. But do, please do not leave your bags in the central aisle. Please put all your bags on top. I will not repeat this message. He didn't say the bit about repeating the message, but it was quite sort of aggressive. It's like, all right, okay, I'm going to put my bag up. I'm sorry. Sorry for just having a bag. Um, but we actually couldn't do it. The bags were too big. Oh, drama. Um... People, though, were immediately friendly and helpful. We arrived... um, Well, in New York itself, in Manhattan, people regularly stopped in order to sort of say, Hey, can I help you at all? Well, it didn't say it like that, but they were like, Where are you going? You know, what what do you need to do? Where are you going to? And people were very helpful. Uh, People were like that in London, too, generally. In Paris, no. No, in Paris, they're kind of like, Oh, you don't know where you are? Well, that's your problem. You stupid idiot. Um, I don't know if they're that rude, but generally, if you're standing in the street with a map, it's not very common for a French person. Ah, I see you in my my capital city. I'm very proud of this city. I will show you everything. No, they're like, ah, I see that you're a tourist. That is just another reason for me to hate you. I don't know what happened to the accent there at the end. So, um, first of all, we actually got off at the wrong stop and got off in New Jersey. Uh, Oh, that was exciting. We got out and was like, here we are in Manhattan. And walked around. It's like, it looks a bit dull. Where are all the skyscrapers? Tried to get a taxi to the hotel. I was like, yeah, we'd like to get a taxi to uh, uh, Clinton Road, please. And the taxi driver was like, uh, Clinton Road? Where, where's that? And I was like, it's, uh, it's, it's just it's nearby. It's only a few streets away. And he was like, do you want me to take the uh, Brooklyn Tunnel? I was like, you're not going to need to take a tunnel, surely. We're already in Manhattan. He's like, no, you're in Jersey. I was like, what? You're in New Jersey. And I was like, idea, yeah, come on. You can't, you don't, I know because I'm a tourist, you think you can drive me around the block and make me pay extra. Don't try and tell me I'm in New Jersey. And he was like, no, sir, you are in New Jersey. And I was like, oh, yeah, I am, aren't I? Sorry. 
So we had to get back on the train. Finally arrived in Manhattan at Penn Station in the middle of Manhattan. Came out of the station. Boom. There it is. Classic New York. Big buildings, big skyscrapers, yellow taxi, Madison Square Garden there behind us. Loads of people. Everything is big. Everything in in America is big. The buildings, the cars, the people. Some people seem to be sort of almost like square in shape. I saw these guys, like these sort of blue-collar guys, who were walking around. They look like they're just square blocks. Americans or New Yorkers are just a different shape. Big guys, square kind of guys. Obviously, you get different shapes and sizes, but uh, I saw some shapes and sizes of people's peoples of people that I don't normally see in Europe. Um, some classic New York accents. The train staff speaking with that sort of New Jersey accent or something. Police officers. A girl who helped us to buy train tickets. What did she say? I was like, uh, "Do you need any help at all with your train tickets?" You know, I was like, um, yes, please. I'd like to buy a ticket to uh, New York. Uh, you're in New York already. You know, I don't know if that's a completely accurate. It's a, it's some sort of American accent. It's not necessarily the one that she did. But hey, there's that kind of New York thing. Hey, come on. Hey, you're in New York. You want a burger? You want to get some coffee? Come on. What's the matter with you? Okay, that's more of an Italian-American thing. But anyway, you hear all these different accents. It's like, wow, this is real. It's actually happening. It's not just a movie. Uh, we took a taxi to the neighbor. Uh, we took a taxi to our neighborhood, and the taxi ride was exciting. I was like, "Wow, we're in a yellow taxi in Manhattan. This is amazing." Looking out the windows at all the big skyscrapers, every now and then catching a glimpse of the Empire State Building as it went past. Fantastic stuff. I'm looking at the clock here on the podcast. This is 36 to 37 minutes. Right, I'm going to have to speed up a bit. Um, We took, um, there was a TV in the back of the taxi. That was cool. We got dropped off in our neighborhood, which was lower east side of Manhattan, uh, a street called Clinton Street. Really cool area. Quite down market, you know, a little bit rough, but very cool and very hip. Lots of graffiti everywhere, but lots of nice cafes, places that sold like really nice coffee and uh, cakes and bagels and sandwiches. It felt safe. It felt very trendy as well. Organic cafes and stuff like that. To be honest, it just felt like a hundred movies and TV shows. I just felt like I was in a movie. I know that's a, that's a cliche. Everyone says that. Wow, it felt like I was on a movie set, but it really did. And that was brilliant. Just, just being there was like, wow, the steps outside this this apartment building. Wow, this is just so New York. You know, the colour of the painted um, curb, the taxis, just everything. It's just really weird to be in this place that I've seen so many times in films. Um, and um, so that was cool. Um, we unpacked and just discovered the area. First thing we did, we felt very jet lagged. We were kind of like a bit suffering from the jet lag. But the the first thing that we did was to visit um, a delicatessen called Katz, Katz Delicatessen, which is a sort of Jewish deli, and they serve these amazing, massive sandwiches of um, what's the wow, what's the bloody stuff called? Can't believe I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, uh, it, it, they serve sandwiches with with beef, like um, a certain kind of uh, prepared beef. And um, 
and it's absolutely delicious. I'm just looking at Cat's Deli here, and I'm I'm going to find the name of this. Normally, I could remember, but I would need to stop talking to just focus on remembering it. Um, so I'm just going to look at the uh, website instead. Um, they they had. Uh, sort of hot dogs, beautiful, delicious chicken soup, pastrami. That's it. Pastrami sandwiches. Pastrami is a kind of beef, and they serve these huge sandwiches with massive loads of pastrami in them. Delicious, and just exactly what we needed. So we had some pastrami and some chicken noodle soup. Delicious, amazing. And Cat's Deli, wow, it's such an authentic feel, like the real authentic New York deli photographs of like of people on the walls black and white photographs um, guys kind of shouting out their orders to each other it's brilliant cat's uh, deli has been featured in a few movies for example when harry met sally there's a scene in cat's deli where they're sitting at a table and um uh, what's her name melanie melanie griffiths no Oh my god, my memory is suffering today because I'm trying to speak and remember at the same time. And as we know, uh, men cannot multitask. Um, when Harry... I don't think I need to, to do this, but I've started doing it, so I'm going to finish. I'm going to tell you the name of the actress who was in this film when Harry met Sally. Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal. It's a romantic comedy set in New York, and there's a famous scene where they're sitting in Cat's Deli, and Meg Ryan starts to fake an orgasm to show him that he can't tell the difference between a real orgasm and a fake one. And she does this whole fake orgasm there at the table, and it's very embarrassing, and everyone's looking, and he feels really ashamed. And then we see like an older woman turn round and say to the waiter, I'll have what she's having. Very funny. Um, food there is amazing. Lovely pastrami sandwich. Uh, very good. Um, first full day, the next day was our first full day. We went to Brooklyn. We walked over Brooklyn Bridge to Brooklyn. Amazing views of all of the buildings, big skyscrapers and stuff. It was amazing stuff. In Brooklyn, it's different. There's a sort of slightly more local atmosphere there. Obviously, New York is separated into five boroughs. Manhattan itself, Brooklyn, um, then we have uh, the Bronx, we have um, uh, Queens, and I think the fifth borough is Staten Island, um, not Coney Island. Um, I'm just going to check that just to make sure I'm correct. Um, um, we have uh, yeah Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, and Staten Island. I was I was right. Um, so we couldn't see all of it. We spent most of our time in Manhattan, uh, which is this, the main central island with all the big skyscrapers on it. But also we did visit Brooklyn uh, because it had been recommended to us. I'm going to just drop down the music a little bit. just going to give you a rest from that. Just, just lowering the volume on that a little bit just to give you a break. Okay. Um, I might put some other music on in the background. I'll see how I feel. Um, anyway, um, Brooklyn, really cool. It's more local. You get the feeling they're in a little village or something. Um, although there are sort of big buildings in the centre, there are also other areas in Brooklyn that were really cool. We went to a flea market, and that was nice. Do you know the TV show Sesame Street? It felt a bit like I was in an episode of Sesame Street. Um, just the, the brownstone buildings and stuff. A really cool flea market. We're selling old vintage clothes and stuff like that. We we ate some uh, local food there. The, there was a guy playing really loud, um, um, uh, soulful house music. 
So it's kind of a cool atmosphere with the good music going on. Um, there, we turned a street corner and there were a bunch of off, uh, police officers um, taping off an area of the street with yellow police lines. You know, like in movies or in TV shows like NYPD Blue, if there's been a murder in a building, they use that yellow tape to um, uh, block it off. And it says, police line, do not cross. And so we saw this happening, these police officers with their police cars and their police uniforms, the hats and everything, taping off the area. It's like, wow, this is just like a film. What the hell? Incredible. What's happened in that building? Um, and um, it was a cool place, a, a quite hipsterish, but really good atmosphere with a good kind of community spirit. It reminded me of London a lot. In fact, to be honest, New York generally reminded me of London. It was like London on steroids. You know, it had the same kinds of things, um, probably a bit bigger, but similar sorts of um, communities, a similar spirit to it, similar level of multiculturalism, uh, similar attractions, you know, the museums, the parks, um, the the uh, busy tourist areas, um, all that kind of thing. Similar level, similar types of stuff, but just on a big scale. So like London on steroids, it felt. Um, Brooklyn, for example, felt a bit like South London or the trendy parts of East London. Soho f felt like Soho. There's an area in Soho. Uh, there's an area in New York called Soho. There's also an area in London called Soho. And they were really similar. Um, lots of kind of great places to go shopping. All the sort of uh, clothing brands have shops and, and outlets there. Uh, nice bars and cafes. Times Square was like Leicester Square or Piccadilly Circus, but much bigger. Leicester Square, Piccadilly Circus, these are the places that have the uh, movie premieres. That's where you have those big neon lights and big uh, shining Coca-Cola signs and stuff. Same thing in Times Square, just much bigger. Parts of Broadway felt like Oxford Street with all the big shopping brands and so on. But yes, much, much bigger. Everything is bigger. Have I said that yet? Have I said that everything's bigger yet? The food portions are bigger. Drinks are bigger. Which is convenient because um, you can just always order the small size. Because small over there is kind of big uh, for, for me. So I can just always order small. And it's, you get like a good portion. Drink bottles, I think, are about 25% bigger than they are back home. I bought a bottle of fruit drink. It's the same stuff that we have here. But there, the same things are just like 25% bigger. It's amazing. We walked back from Brooklyn to Manhattan via Williamsburg, which is a very super cool area full of trendy people and hipster shops and cafes. It was very hot and sunny. On the way back, we stopped near the river to rest. Um, and there was a large open area with a sports field, grass, and bars with big barbecues outside. And there were lots of people drinking and eating in the sunshine. And there was an amazing view of Manhattan, uh, a, a great view of the Manhattan skyline from across the river in front of us. We kept walking and came across a Latin bar that was playing this loud salsa music. And there were loads of people drinking and dancing outside the bar. Uh, and this was just in the sort of early evening um, on a Saturday. This was just um, a street corner near the Williamsburg Bridge, and it was about 6 p.m. And I realised then sort of how multicultural the place is. 
There's a large Latin community, and that's reflected in the music that you hear. In fact, New York is famous for its diverse music. There's the kind of Afro-Caribbean thing, the Latin thing, disco music, hip-hop, a Caribbean influence, a jazz tradition, funk music, soul music, and also folk and rock music as well. It all combines to create a pretty brilliant melting pot. And one of the cool things was just to listen to music coming out of people's cars, um, you know, they have this thing in, in New York and probably other places where they drive around with the windows open, playing their music really loud. It's like they're DJs in cars, you know. So uh, wherever we were staying, you could hear these cars sort of blaring out music. And it was always really good sounding music, it's like sort of kind of soulful electro stuff or hip hop or reggae or whatever. It's just great. Um we visited the skyscraper district. Um, so the cool things about skyscrapers or big buildings that are on the skyline, um, and also this is true for Mount Fuji in Japan, the cool thing about them is that you see them from lots of different angles in the city. So, you know, you can go to any part of the city and you get a different view of these famous landmarks. So you can, for example, be walking around any part of New York and you'll catch the Empire State Building or the Chrysler Building from a different angle. And immediately it kind of gives you, it gives that area of the city a kind of distinction, you know. So if you go to, um, uh, I don't know, if you if you go to Williamsburg, and you go down to the river, then you get like a view of these buildings. But it's a it's it's a view that's unique to that spot in New York. So every place that you go that has a view of something gives it an extra special distinction. There are places like that in London. For example, if you go to Primrose Hill, which is near um, it's near Camden, that's a really distinctive place because of the view of London that you get because it's on a hill. You can see a lot of the city. Uh, nowadays, if you're in South London, you get views of the Shard. Um, so uh, um, if you're in East London, you get to see the Gherkin and so on. So each sort of landmark gives all the surrounding areas a certain distinctive quality because they can see um, they can see the buildings. And that's awesome. OK, I need to hurry up a little bit here because uh, I'm running out of time and I don't want this to be too long. Um, OK, so I need to self-edit slightly. OK, let's let's see um, if I can focus on some of the highlights. So shopping, did some shopping. Um, I didn't see Spider-Man. I was expecting to see Spider-Man. Like looking up at all the, the skyscrapers, you kind of expect any second to see Spider-Man swinging around between the buildings, you know. But no, unfortunately, I didn't see him. Um, I went. We went up the Rockefeller. Plaza, Rockefeller Building. I highly recommend it. If you go to New York, don't go up the Empire State Building. Why? Because you can't see the Empire State Building. So go up the Rockefeller Building. You'll get a great view of the Empire State Building and everything else. Did some shopping, bought some shoes, some sneakers, as they call them in the States. Um, in New York, everyone wears sneakers, trainers, we call them. I don't know why they call them sneakers. I don't think every, anyone is using them for sneaking around. You know, for walking quietly like a robber. It's not like everyone in New York is going, shh, you've got you to walk quietly. This is New York. Don't make too much noise. You've got to sneak around. No, I don't, I don't know why they call them sneakers, but they do. In the UK, we call them trainers. I don't know what we're training for. 
maybe just so that we can eventually get some better shoes one day. Sports shoes is another word for them, although I'm pretty sure that I won't be doing any sports in these shoes. Probably the opposite of sport, just like standing around and drinking. Um, so there's a there's a customer service culture in the states, um, um, big servings of everything. Fine. We went to the Metropolitan Opera House, the Met, um, which is a famous opera house, and we saw a production of Madame Butterfly. Amazing visuals. I mean, f- well, okay. First of all, the opera house is fantastic. It's kind of um, Art Deco in style modernist style art deco but really really classy as well beautiful uh, modern but classic lovely open space with some very chic looking new yorkers in the audience the stage at the met is very big and so it's it, it it's got lots of potential for theatrical productions um and in this production they used the stage really really well um Madame Butterfly is an opera, basically, um, and it's an Italian opera. It tells the story of an American soldier who goes to Japan and he falls in love with a Japanese woman and uh, promises to come back and marry her. He does, he marries her, then he disappears, and it's all very sad, okay? Um, the, this uh, production was directed by Anthony Mingella, who is a British director who directed the English page, uh, the English Patient, Cold Mountain, and so on. His films seem to tell similar stories to the one in um, Madame Butterfly, lovers who are separated by large distances and who live with the impossible hope of reuniting with their lovers one day. Um, Madame Butterfly tells a similar story. To be honest with you, I wasn't that impressed by the story. And the script was pretty bad as well. They sang it in Italian, but we had subtitles in English. Maybe it's just because um, in original, in the original version, in Italian, it's probably a lot more impressive, you know, the script. But because it's been translated, it, the script was pretty, pretty bad. You know, the lines of dialogue uh, didn't seem to be very very well written to me maybe it's just the translation maybe it's just because it's opera you know it's a different medium it's not like cinema in in the cinema it's all about the script uh, and and about the performances in the direction but the script is also very important if it's a good film so maybe in opera it's not so much about the script but it's about the visuals and the singing um as i said it's probably more impressive in italian anyway i found the script and the story to be pretty cheesy and like a little bit stupid, in fact. I mean, I don't mean to be a philistine or anything, but um, well, I mean, okay. Very quickly, the story is about he's an American soldier. He's very sort of pleased with himself, and and his whole attitude is, well, wherever I sail, that's my home. Wherever I lay my hat, that's my home, and I'll I can take um, advantage of uh, anything that comes in my way, and all the beautiful women that I meet, I can have them as my own. This is his attitude. He goes to Japan. He uh, comes ashore. He he sees a, a woman who he likes. He flirts with her. She obviously loves the attention. She's very excited to have this American soldier giving her all this attention. And they both believe that they've fallen in love with each other. And we're supposed to agree with this. But I wasn't convinced by it at all because I thought she doesn't know anything about him. She doesn't know who he is. She can hardly understand what he's saying. He is just too in love with himself to to love anyone else. And he also keeps saying things like, well, you know, I'll marry you, but... um, 
but one day I, when I get a real wife, you know, he's kind of saying all these things suggesting that actually he doesn't really love her, he doesn't care about her, and he's planning to marry her just because it's an experience. Um, and then, of course, um, when he leaves and goes back to America and eventually... Well, I'm not going to tell you more because I don't want to spoil the story, but I wasn't convinced. Maybe I'm just too, I don't know, maybe I expected too much. The singing was great and the production design was fantastic. Beautiful stuff. They really captured that kind of amazing Japanese visual sensibility with the cherry blossom falling and the amazing Japanese kimonos. The singers were obviously were very impressive, um, uh, but I was more impressed by the just the general experience of being at the Metropolitan uh, Opera House than by Madame Butterfly itself. Um, the weather in New York, at the beginning, it was very sunny and hot. It was like summer. And then in the middle of the week, suddenly it started snowing right? What the hell is going on with the weather in New York? We went to the Opera House. Um, just before we went in, it was a nice day. We came out snowing. What? Maybe this is uh, climate change. I'm sure it is climate change anyway. So we had to escape from the snow and we like headed into like a little uh, spaghetti and meatballs shop, uh, a bar that sold uh, beer and spaghetti and meatballs. So we like hid in this place while the the sort of rain and snowstorm passed overhead. That was nice. Hiding in this place, eating really nice spaghetti and meatballs and drinking beer. Really good, that was. Um, Madison Square Garden. We went to Madison Square Garden. We saw a basketball game. That was amazing. It was the Chicago Bulls versus the New York Knicks. Um, just incredible American entertainment, you know? The, all the good and bad things that that brings with it so the bad things are the fact that it's just never ending you, your attention can never drop so they play a bit of basketball then they stop and there's loads of adverts and music on on the screens um cheerleaders come on and they do lots of dancing and stuff it's like your brain doesn't need to worry about being bored in fact your intellect isn't really involved that much you just sit there eating chips and hot dogs and drinking coke and just watching all of this entertaining colorful stuff that's going on you don't really need to think that's the bad side of it the good side of it is wow it really is entertaining it's impressive the, the madison square garden is an amazing impressive place the seats are comfortable i mean if you go to a stadium like like that in england often the seats are plastic and they get uncomfortable after sitting on them for an hour these seats in madison square garden are cushioned and big and comfortable the hot dogs they are good oh god they are delicious i can understand why um it's easy to to put on weight in the states because the food does taste good mm, yum 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 um central park we visited that which is great it's like the lung of uh, it's the lungs of new of, of manhattan in the middle there huge green area huge green park it's a bit like hyde park really in london but much bigger um and when you're in there, really, the combination of the skyline and the greenery is really appealing because you can be in there with the trees and the grass and then you look up and there's all there are all the, the Art Deco skyscrapers. That's really cool. And it does make you think of all kinds of Hollywood films again. It also makes me think of John Lennon and Yoko Ono walking around the park in the late 1970s. We saw the disco dancers and the roller skaters who, who hang out in the park. That was cool. Um, now, one of the one of the things I wanted to do definitely um, when going to New York was visit a comedy club called the Comedy Cellar. 
So I booked in advance of going. I booked a table for the two of us in this place on a Wednesday evening. Now, why? Well, you know how much I like comedy. I don't need to tell you about that more. You're convinced of that. Uh, But one of my other comedy heroes is a guy called Louis C.K. I've talked about him on the podcast. Uh, If you're into stand-up comedy, you probably know about him. He's kind of like the biggest name in stand-up at the moment, etc., etc. Big deal for me. Um, he, I think last year he came to London and he sold out the O2 Arena for a few nights running. The O2 Arena sits thousands and thousands of people. It's massive. It's like Madison Square Garden, right? Louis C.K. came to London, sold out all his tickets in just a few hours for the O2 Arena. He's massive, right? Now, I know that Louis C.K. sometimes goes to the Comedy Cellar to do unscheduled performances, so I thought, right, I'm going to I'm going to book to see I'm going to book a table at the Comedy Cellar and just keep my fingers crossed. Now it's not just Louis C.K. Other people go there sometimes to practice their new material. People like Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, and other famous comics who normally you would pay top dollar uh, in a huge venue to see them performing. So I thought, right, I've got to try and get a ticket. Went along. Louis's name wasn't on the list or anything when I thought maybe someone's going to come at the end and do like a special appearance so we saw the stuff the comedy cellar is great it's a very small place a very friendly environment there the comics were really funny we saw about five comics and had a really good time and then at the end the MC said and now coming towards the stage your special guest for an unprompted appearance I was like oh my god who is it he said, coming towards the stage now, Louis C.K. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And sure enough, there he was, Louis C.K. from the from the movies and the TV, right there, just a couple of meters in front of me doing his stand-up thing. I couldn't believe it. Now, I've it's this, a similar story to the Eddie Izzard situation. I'm so lucky this year. Maybe it's a sign, you know. I don't know if I don't really believe in signs and that sort of thing. But still, it's pretty brilliant that um, I keep seeing these comedy heroes of mine. Uh, but there he was, Louis C.K., right in front of me, just doing his thing. And that was amazing. I mean, I was really starstruck, as you can imagine. We hung around uh, in the venue afterwards and uh, had some food there. And I kept seeing these famous comedians just walking around. Um amazing place so again if you like stand-up comedy and if you go to the uh, to new york you must uh, get yourself down to the comedy cellar book it in advance they have shows at eight o'clock and ten o'clock it's great um there's a thing in new york called the high line okay down in sort of the lower west side of new york there's a, a thing called the high line and it's really cool um you know that they have lots of raised train tracks that run through the uh, certain parts of the city. Well, in this area, there are some raised train tracks that um, are not operational anymore. So trains don't go along them anymore. So what they've done is they've turned these into pedestrian walkways and they've planted lots of uh, grass and, and shrubs and, and plants and things. And now it's brilliant. It's a great way to just walk through the city. You're above the street level. You're above all the traffic and cars. You can just walk free 
freely. You get great views all around you, and it's full of greenery and grass and stuff. Brilliant. You can walk along the High Line, and it gets you to Chelsea Farmers Market. Chelsea Market, yeah, Chelsea Market, where you can get like souvenirs, like you know, nice souvenirs and good food. So that was good. It was a good couple of hours walking along the High Line. Uh, we visited Wall Street, which is the financial center. Sort of, you know, looked around Wall Street, just thinking, look at all these bankers, all these bastards, and their um, and their greed and all that kind of thing. Here it is, this the heart of darkness in the uh, right in the heart of uh, you know the financial system in New York. Not necessarily the heart of darkness, but um, still, it's an interesting place to be when you consider all of the issues which have been going on in the banking industry, Lehman Brothers and the financial collapse. So there we were in Wall Street, watching bankers running around, you know, busily trying to make money. Uh, Whole Foods supermarkets, they have these really great, massive um, organic food supermarkets called Whole Foods, um, and you can get really nice ingredients there. Lovely. Um, it's it's a it's not what you expect necessarily in the U.S. You think that you're going to get junk food everywhere, but they have loads of really good organic foods with like fresh fruit and really good ingredients. Fantastic stuff. Uh, walking. I mean, the place is huge, so we did loads and loads of walking. I think that's why everyone in New York wears sneakers or trainers because they have to walk around a lot. They need something comfortable. So you. You do a hell of a lot of walking in New York. We got fit from doing it. The first couple of days, we were exhausted at the end of each day. But by the end of the holiday, our, you know, you go outside and your legs are like, right, come on, let's do some walking, you know. Um, the buildings are a bit old now in New York. So I imagine it must get very cold in wintertime. It's not, they're not like really well insulated windows and stuff. So it must be pretty freezing in the winter for the locals. Um Let's see, lots of classy restaurants in Soho. Okay, let me tell you one more thing. This is the last thing I'm going to tell you about uh, my uh, my New York experience. So my girlfriend, being the lovely girl that she is, set up another surprise for me. One of them was, um, the, the first one was the holiday itself. Uh, but then at the end of the holiday, she booked this special thing, right? Uh, we went to... Okay, it was a complete surprise for me. I didn't know what it was going to be. She said, on Thursday night, we've got a surprise. You don't know what it is. Um, it's going to be cool, I hope. So let me tell you what it what it was. It turned out to be one of the strangest and mysterious experiences that I've had for a long time. Um, we went to a place called the McKittrick Hotel. And um, there they have this thing called Sleep No More, right? The, the McKittrick Hotel. So this is a six or seven story building which has been converted into a bar on one floor, and the rest of the floors have been taken over by a theatre company from London called Punch Drunk. So it used to be a a hotel, um, or, yeah, I think it used to be a hotel. It's been converted into a kind of theatre space and bar restaurant. Okay, so I think the second floor is the bar and restaurant. All the other floors are devoted to this strange theatrical performance so they've converted all the rooms uh, on all these floors and that's about 100 rooms they've converted them all into a very elaborate interactive theater space all right Um, it sounds a bit pretentious when i talk about it but when you actually experience it it's pretty cool and um surprising and gets your mind um you know it makes you think every evening in this place a performance takes place within the space 
And that was a that that rhymed and that wasn't intentional. I'm like rapping at this point. Maybe it's the New York thing. Every evening in this place, something takes place within the space. Um, as as the audience, you can just walk around, exploring it, investigating rooms, and there's a whole performance going on around you. So the rooms have all been designed in a special way. They've all got like uh, weird, mysterious um, decoration. Uh, some of the floors feel like you're in the foyer of a hotel. Other floors, it f- it's like you are in uh, a hospital. Um, other areas of the building are, are like you're in um, a castle. And then at the top, it's really weird because there's all these these wood chippings on the floor and it's almost like a warehouse or something. It's very mysterious and indeed. Um, so, And the whole thing is like quite dark and they have this moody music playing in the background a bit like on this podcast they have this weird mysterious music and sort of dark noises sometimes just classical music starts playing in a very dramatic way um they even introduce some different smells in there to kind of create a a really weird uh, sensory experience and all around you while this is happening um there there are actors in there um yeah and the actors are doing a a, a performance right um sometimes you see performers sometimes you can follow them around from room to room observing the action from inside the space um so every now and then you just kind of come across these actors doing a performance and you think what's going on and you have to work it out you basically from what you see what you investigate the little bits of performance that you see there you start to work out that you're taking part in a kind of uh, version of the Shakespeare play Macbeth you, you start to notice characters there you, you pick up letters there are desks and you, you can open the drawers of the desks and you find letters and you can read the letters and you, you find out what the characters are doing and thinking um, it's it's really really amazing the the closest thing that i can compare it to was was like it was it was like being in a computer game a game like resident evil 2 or other suspenseful horror mystery games um you might not know about resident evil 2 basically it's a very uh moody and scary game in which you walk around investigating rooms looking for clues that will help you to um escape a city which has been overrun by zombies. And every now and then, something surprising happens and you have to react to it in order to survive. So it's like investigating and surviving and trying to solve a mystery. And that was exactly what this was like. So I'd never been in this kind of space before except in a computer game. And there I was in real life. It was weird. It was like I was in a game. Um, So, okay, let me just try and tell you the experience. We went in and... um, uh, it just looked like a normal restaurant or nightclub from the outside. But when you enter, you leave your coats and then a silent woman gives you a playing card as you enter. She just hands this playing card to you in a, in a mysterious way. I got number 13 and my girlfriend got a different card, right? We walked into a corridor and it was r- suddenly really dark. And we were both like laughing at this point because it was just really weird. Uh, there was an illusion at the beginning of mystery of like we're walking into darkness we walked upstairs and into a bar and then immediately it was like walking into the bar it was like a scene from Twin Peaks so there was like this uh, there was a girl singing a jazz song 
uh, at the um, near a piano. Um, there were people dressed in 1920s costumes standing at the bar. The place was dark and smoky. Uh, there were red curtains. It felt like Twin Peaks or some kind of American film noir thriller. I kept expecting to see Jessica Rabbit, you know, at any moment from uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We got drinks and we waited. Every now and then, a man in a tuxedo with a posh British British accent would call out numbers and groups of people would disappear out of the room. And at one point he called out my number and that's when I had to leave my girlfriend. So we, you know, we said goodbye to each other and I went off with this small group of people and uh, we would like ushered through into a small room by this woman dressed in old-fashioned clothing speaking with a very posh english accent and she explained to us that we were about to go into uh, the mckittrick hotel and that we had to wear masks so she gave us all these really weird white masks they looked like carnival masks from venice you know like venetian carnival masks really weird so when everyone put them on suddenly everyone looks really weird and scary and you don't know who is who and she said please go when you go into the space you must uh, uh don't talk to anyone you have to just explore the space and find out for it find out for yourself what's going on if you see people you know don't don't hang out with them together you need to walk through this space individually and work out your own version of the story so um we were in a lift and she kept the the lift stopped and every now and then she'd let some people out on different floors so i didn't know which floor i was on i was on my own i got let out into the into this building and immediately i started walking around as if i was in a computer game investigating opening drawers and things um um just noticing actors and like observing them and just trying to pick up on what's going on um um there were some surprising moments too i remember once i was um uh going through some drawers trying to find things i put my hand into one of the drawers and it was all wet and cold and there was a like a wet cloth in there it felt really weird like um like a slimy creature or something it gave me a shock um and um walking through some areas suddenly you come to face to face with other people with their white masks on and it's like kind of frightening and weird um and uh um, all sorts of things. I went upstairs and there was a um, a kind of garden, stone garden area. It was inside the building, but it felt like I was outside. And there was this statue. I walked through the garden in the darkness and I came across this statue standing in front of me. And I thought, is that a statue or is that a real person? I couldn't tell. The statue was pointing right at me and I was all alone. I thought, this is so weird. And I was scared at that point because I thought, that's a person, you know. Your instinct kind of tells you, don't don't go over to that person. It just looks weird, especially the way they're pointing. So it was really weird to go over and I went really close. And even up close, I couldn't tell if this was a real person or not. And I, I kind of plucked up the courage to touch the statue and it turned out to be just a statue. Weird though. And other strange things. I went into a little room, and there, in the middle of the room, was a uh, a cot. Um, what's a cot? It's a little, um, like a bed for a little baby, um, which you can rock from side to side to help the baby go to sleep, right? A cot. Um, a little baby sleeping area. And then, above the cot, suspended from the ceiling, were loads and loads and loads of... Um, like dolls you know baby dolls that children have they pretend that they've got their own kid and they give it milk and stuff 
You know those dolls? They look a bit creepy and weird, don't they? Well, they were suspended from the ceiling above this cot where loads of dolls with their heads removed hanging in the air. It was like, what the... What's going on in this room? It was so creepy. Um, all kinds of things like that were going on. Um, and... This lasted three hours. Three hours of wandering around, trying to work out what was happening, having surprises, getting shocked by things, noticing actors and following them, um, piecing together clues that you notice. And then eventually, at the end of this, we were ushered into a communal area downstairs. So there there were members of staff in there wearing black masks. And they started to appear and sort of pointed us towards this place on the on the third floor i think and there all of the actors had gathered all the actors that we kept noticing throughout the experience had gathered together around a big table and then we saw the conclusion i'm not going to tell you what happens because uh, i've i um i'm not allowed to you're not allowed to explain what happens at the end of this performance but it was pretty weird and scary and strange um because after a while you start to lose touch with with what's real um in that place you're just like is this a performance or is this you know what's going on especially since i didn't know at the beginning when i went in what it was i didn't know at all i thought is this some sort of cult or or what's going on um i did bump into my girlfriend a couple of times um and uh we kind of saw each other and came up went over to each other and sort of said hello very quietly and then you know went our separate ways again um so afterwards i mean during the during the experience i kept thinking this is ridiculous this is stupid i feel a bit stupid doing this i wasn't completely engaged but it wasn't until afterwards like days later even after i'd come back to paris i remember once actually lying in bed before going to sleep just thinking about it i couldn't get it out of my head the experience that i've been through because my brain my subconscious was trying to categorize it and couldn't really, didn't know where to put it, you know. I was just like, what was that? What happened? What was that thing that we experienced a few days ago? What, what, you know, what are we supposed to learn from that? So it's now occupies this sort of space in my memory of like this kind of mysterious, weird experience. And I'd love to go there again because I know if I went there again, I'd see things I didn't see before and I'd get more of an idea. I'd be able to solve the puzzle of what had happened there. So... I suggest that you check it out. The McKittrick Hotel. The performance is called Sleep No More, which is ironic considering I did stay up uh, thinking about it in bed. And the company that produced it is called Punch Drunk. So again, there's another recommendation. If you go to New York, go to the McKittrick Hotel, Punch Drunk. You'll see the words that I'm saying on the website here. Um, So you can follow uh, everything there. there is no complete transcript for this episode at the moment, but feel free to start doing one. Um, I can open a, a Google document for you to start doing that if you want to. Uh, but you will find some notes. I've been reading partly from notes uh, that I prepared earlier for this episode. So you can see a lot of what I've said here, actually, on the website. And you'll find a link to the McKittrick Hotel, so you can have a look there. Um, all right, so that's that's it. That's it for this episode. I don't know how long this has been. It's an hour and 15, an hour and 16 minutes. I think this is a good time to bring this episode to a close. I hope that you're still awake. I hope you're still with me. Because um, I realise that uh, this mood music may have given the whole thing rather a weird atmosphere. 
Um, I think uh, I think we're just going to stop talking now. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English podcast. As ever, I'm I'm very curious to to get your feedback. So leave comments um, under this episode and tell me what you think. I'll speak to you again soon. But for now, it's goodbye. Bye. 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 Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.